0: reading through the passage for tonight uh, as they were singing and uh, in the margin of my Bible I have notes from previous messages and times and words that uh, I've shared and other ways in which this same passage has ministered to my heart and yet tonight I'm not going to touch on any of this stuff that happens to be in the margin of my Bible uh, as we deal with this evening. I told you this morning it's going to be the marks of maturity Uh, kind of some guideposts for us, some marks of maturity as a believer. So turn to Colossians chapter number uh, 4 with me, Colossians chapter number 4. Our text is going to be Colossians 4, really 2 through 6, but I will begin reading in verse number 1 as we talk about here this marks of maturity. Uh, Have you ever just wanted to tell somebody to grow up? You know, you just want to just, all right, just grow up. Uh, stop acting like a child. Okay, that, that's enough. Uh, you know, Paul did tell people that uh, in Hebrews 5.12. He says, hey, for when you uh, the time when you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He's saying, hey, you, you should have grown up a little bit by now. And yet, I'm still dealing with you as a child. We know, beloved that the marks of maturity are not just marked by years we We know that for sure. It's not just a matter of time, whether you're talking about uh mental or emotional maturity or whatever it can't or or spiritual maturity. It doesn't matter. It could be somebody that's uh you know forty years old and they are still acting like they're fourteen um, you know who uh, was listening to Ben Shapiro the other day, and he says, my biggest problem with Taylor Swift is she's 30-some years old, and my wife is 30-some years old, and she's a doctor, she's married, and she has four kids, and Taylor Swift is still acting like a teenager. He so said, that's my problem with Taylor Swift, you know, but that's, that's the thing. It's not uh, a matter of uh, maturity. is not a, a just a number of years. You don't mark it that way. It, it's marked by growth and uh, stability, and the things which we will look at in the Word of God here. So looking at Colossians chapter number 4, we're going to see these. Just just follow along as I read verses 1 through 6. He says, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. That's some very good advice we're not going to be dealing with tonight, but uh, just realizing we are all uh, under somebody, and we need to be careful and treat those that are under us with uh, respect that we would want to be treated with. Then he says, "...continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mysteries of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak." Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may also know how you ought to answer every man. A.W. Tozer said, Just as a caring parent delights in the observance of their children as they develop in all-around maturity and character, So, God rejoices in seeing his children grow into the likeness of his own son, into perfectly mature believers. That process in which we are conformed into the image of God's son, where we are made more like him, and where we begin to uh, be what God wants us to be, we mature as believers. And again, it's not just a matter of how long you've been saved. There are some that have been saved for many, many years, and they're still Christmas and Easter Christians. You know, that's all the level that they've ever grown. That's all the commitment they have to Christ is is Christmas and Easter some have been saved many, many years and Sunday morning is all that they are. That's all the commitment they have to God. They don't walk with God throughout the week. They don't pick up their Bible and study the Word of God. And other times they don't strive to be a witness or reach the loss. There's, there's no other growth besides attending a service once a week. But all of us are to be maturing as believers, growing in the Lord. And there's some marks of maturity that are given to us here. First of all, there's a consistency in prayer. We are to be consistent in prayer. He says, continue in prayer. Beloved, we know that the Word of God tells us that we are to pray always. Pray always. That is, continuing in prayer, being consistent in prayer, persevering in prayer. This is to be the mind and the heart of a Christian. Paul taught it. Over and over again, in the Word of God, Romans 12, verse number 12, he says, Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Being in prayer all the time. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, we're told to pray without ceasing. Sometimes young believers might feel as though they've got to be in a position of prayer in order to pray, that they've got to be alone and maybe even in a church house and on their knees and in a position of prayer to talk to God. But as you grow in the Lord, as you mature in the Lord, you, are, you, you understand you can talk to God anywhere, in any place, at any time. And as believers, we're to be in a spirit of prayer, continuing in prayer always. Some say, well, how in the world are we supposed to do that? Let me ask you, can you daydream while you're driving down the road? You're, you know, you're thinking about something else, you're driving down the road and thinking about, you're going to the hospital or to your work or wherever, and in your mind you're thinking about something else. You can be in a spirit of prayer, you can be asking God to help so-and-so or to meet this need or uh, praising Him for who He is and, and still be doing something else as well. You can be praying always as we're taught to. A mark of maturity is somebody that is learned how to pray. Christ taught us, he said in Luke 18, 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Prayer needs to be a foundational and consistent part of every believer's life, and a mark of maturity is when we start to make that a consistent part of our life. We are to pray always. We're also to pray attentively. He says here to Watch. Watching the same that word "watch means to stay awake, to be alert. Jesus used that term several times when he was dealing with the disciples, and he says, "Could you watch and pray with me? Could you be alert? Could you be attentive? Could you see uh, the evil? Could you pray uh, attentively with your mind engaged. Now I know many of you are if you've spent any time in prayer, you're as guilty of this as I am. You're praying and then all of a sudden you you realize your mind has drifted and you've forgotten what you're praying about. You don't even know if you actually prayed for those names or not. You've gone through a list and you're like, wait. I'm not even sure if I, you know, uh, because you're, you get distracted, your mind drifts, and, and you're not really watching in prayer. You're not being attentive in prayer. In Matthew 26, 41, he says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Be alert, be awake. Watch, pray attentively. He says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It takes effort to pray watchfully, attentively. It's not something you can do just casually, but take some matter of concentration. Paul instructed this more than once in Ephesians 6.18. He said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. He says, hey, this is part of prayer, being attentive, watchful, We watch unless we're caught up, unless we're caught unprepared. Satan would bring temptation and snares. We're told to watch for the coming of the Lord. This is something that we're to be watchful. So we pray always. We pray attentively. We should also pray admiringly. Admiringly. You know, we really enjoy it when uh, those we love recognize our skills and benefits and blessings. You know, at the marriage conference a couple of times, Dad was talking about, you know, it might be good for you husbands to, you know, thank your wife once in a while and recognize what she does for you and, and, and observe that. And, uh, you know, ladies, it would be good for you to, you know, notice that about your husband, what he, what he did and whatever. Uh, you know, I, I, like it when my hus- I like it when my wife admires me, when, when she uh, sees something that I do. And she's like, man, you all these years and you still impress me. That makes me feel good. Yeah, I, I like that. Well, you know, just like we heard tonight that, that God had answered some prayer. The Bible tells us over and over again that we are to behold the works of God. We are to see his mighty hand. We're to recognize and acknowledge. And what I'm saying by admiringly, he says there in our text, using the word thankfulness. But he says, watch in the same with thanksgiving. Admiring what God has done for you. Just acknowledging that and realizing it and praying with thanksgiving and expressing that gratitude. Continually. Gratitude, beloved, it it cultivates a, a confidence. It builds confidence. Not only does it build confidence, but it builds contentment. Sometimes, and you know how it works, if, if all we do is look at our sorrows, we're overrun with sorrow and we feel like, man, there's nothing good in this whole life. But if we, as the song says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God hath done. If you do that, pretty soon you'll find yourself over here and saying, man, look, at, God has done so much for me. God has been so good, He's blessed me beyond measure because you've been admiring all that God has done and acknowledging that. And I'll tell you what, beloved, our prayer request, our prayer time should at least be balanced and have at least as much thanksgiving and praise in it as it does requesting and asking. Praising and admiring and thanking God for what He does. We're to pray affectionately. In verse number three, he says, Wherewithal, pray also for us. Have a heart of compassion and pray for other people. Much of our prayer time is consumed with our own needs. How much of our time is given to the request of others? Are we taking the prayer list home and Praying through it a little bit during the week, here and there, to maybe divide it up between the days or uh, you know, divide the missionaries up between the days or find a way that you can work your way through that prayer list and pray for the needs of God's family or is it just the needs that are on your heart? Praying affectionately, considering the needs of others. Paul asked here specifically for a couple things. He requested, he said, hey, pray for opportunity. As he said, that the the door would be opened unto us. A door would be opened. Pray for opportunity. He says, pray for utterance. Give us utterance. Give us words to say, the words that would be what people need to hear. And he asked in Ephesians chapter 6, he asked for boldness. Specific prayer requests. You know, beloved, specific prayer requests require specific answers. I would encourage you to pray specifically for your needs and let God answer them specifically then you can look at it and it's not vague and it's not, oh, maybe, it's, yes, God did this. There is no question that God did it. Pray admirably, pray affectionately, praying for others. Love it, even in the chains in the prison in Rome where Paul was, he knew that prayer could change things, that prayer could open the door, could release him. Could give him boldness to be a witness where he was. Paul requested prayer, and Epaphras prayed for him. Pray, Epaphras did it in Colossians chapter four, uh, in verse number twelve. Here, if you move down just a little bit, he he says, uh, "Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers." He was always laboring fervently for them in prayers. I wonder, who are you laboring for right now in prayer? Is there a neighbor that you're laboring in prayer for, that they would come to the saving knowledge of Christ? Is there a family member that has a burden or a need or a situation going on that in your heart and mind you you don't know how it could possibly be solved, but you know there's power in prayer, so you're going to labor in prayer for them? Beloved, I've often said it. I wish there was more that I could do for you, but the fact of the matter is the greatest thing we can do is pray because God can change the situation. We see, beloved, that it is a sign of Christian maturity when we begin to get consistent in our prayer life. We see, secondly, it is a sign of Christian maturity when we begin to be consistent in our performance. In verse number five here, he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. This walk, beloved, is your conduct, your walk, your performance in life. Your walk talks, but your talk talks. But We know your walk talks louder than your talk talks. The walk is your performance. Can I tell you that this world is watching your walk? They're seeing how it is you're walking. They're, they're, they're checking in on your conduct. If you ever desire to be a witness to somebody at work, I want you to know your witness first started with your walk. Dad gave an illustration at the uh, conference there about how he went to work for a, I think the name of it was Bowling Green Company, uh, a machine shop making parts for something. I don't remember that part of it, but it had been many, many years since I heard that story. I obviously had heard it before, but forgotten all about it. But he went to work there. Uh, A lot of times the church's dad was in, they didn't have enough money to pay him to cover his needs. And sometimes he took a side job or something to cover some of the expenses. And so for a period of time, he did that. He worked for this company and he worked midnight so that he was free during the day to do the work of the ministry of the church. And uh, anyways, he he talked about how he went to work there. And in, in a matter of just a day or two, everybody knew that he was a preacher. He said, I didn't announce it, I didn't tell anybody, I didn't say anything, but everybody knew I was a preacher. And then all of a sudden, they all they all wanted to test the preacher. Talked about how he, they, they put dirty pictures up on his machines and around the building to try and you know, get to him and did numerous other things. I won't go into all the stories, but what I'm saying is they recognized his conduct. From the beginning, they, they, they recognized there was something different. You know, it's a sad thing when... There's lost people at work that are more faithful than the Christian. They're watching your conduct. You know, if there's, if there's 20 guys on your, on your crew, and uh, I know there's always a bum or two. There's a, every job's got them. The guys that are just basically, you're like, they're dead weight. Like, why are we paying them? And so you can compare yourselves to them and say, oh, I'm so much better than them. you know. But what I'm saying is, it's a sad thing when there's 15 guys on the crew that look at the Christian and say, why isn't he here? How come he's missing all the time? It's always something going on. He's always sick. There's always some reason why he can't do the job, why he has to get off early, why he has to come in late, why he misses the work altogether they recognize your conduct. We're supposed to let them see our good works that it may glorify our Father. And when Christians aren't acting right, it impacts your testimony in the world. You know, the fact of the matter is, a lot of times, guys out there, they, they don't care what this says. But they would have a little bit of respect for you if you... You did your job consistently, faithfully, and worked hard. When we went to, some of you guys know we got a uh, uh, forklift for 100 bucks, we bought for the church. Brother Matt found it. He won it in an auction. A uh, forklift that's probably worth about $8,000. And the uh, w- problem is we had to go pick it up, and it wasn't working. You know, that's why nobody bid on it, because it was dead. Take it. You know, we thought we might have to pull it up onto the trailer. So Matt's there working on it. But what I'm saying is we're there working, and there was a guy that bought a whole bunch of carpet. Um, And he had two guys on his crew. One was up in the truck. One was up on the platform dropping it to him. And this guy had to be 60 if he was a day. And he was hauling these rolls of carpet out to the truck by himself. One after the other, one, he, they would flip it down off of the rack and he would flip it up on his shoulder and he'd walk out to the truck and then he would drop it on the truck and then he would go get another one. And after a little while, I said, hey, let me help you. And we, we helped carry some of the big ones out. And then I stopped him and I said, man, I've got a lot of respect for somebody that works hard and I can see you are a hard worker. And four other people are like, I agree. You 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 are you you're beyond a hard worker. Like you've lost your mind, you know. And the guy said, "Oh, I I don't even work hard anymore." He says, "Now I'm I feel like I'm not doing anything." He says, "When I was younger, I used to work hard." He says, "I'm just doing what needs done." There was a generation that was it was different than today. Yeah, but just respect for somebody that's just going to do the job and I'm just saying Christian y- you've got to be careful on the job site because your testimony begins with your conduct. You can stand in a break room and preach to them all you want, but if your life hasn't backed that up, it's just sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. It doesn't mean anything. And that means you're at work, you work hard, you do your job, you don't badmouth the boss, you don't criticize and complain about your days off or your lack of days off or your low pay or whatever else. You agreed to work there. You should be appreciative and thankful for the job that you've got. And that should come out. And you want to realize just being, it's a sign of maturity, being consistent in your performance, your walk, the conduct that this world sees. You're conscious of your conduct. He says here, walk in wisdom. That's a sign of maturity, some wisdom, being consistent. You know, Dad, don't address that, the importance of it in the home, consistency. Uh, Listen, maturity is consistency. Consistency not being up today and down tomorrow. All excited about the things of God this Sunday and next Sunday, not even sure if you're going to be back for church. That's an immature person. Oh, I'm going to be there, preacher, and then two weeks from now you're like, where are they at? Oh, I thought that they were going to That's an immature person. You see a mature person is consistent in their commitments, consistent in their in the wisdom that they show. They're faithful in their commitments. They're conscious of others. He says, walk in wisdom towards them that are without. This is obviously referencing them that are without, that are outside the faith. Conscious of them that are without and aware of them. You know, a baby is only conscious of themselves. That's pretty much it. And the older you get and the more mature you get, the more conscious you are of others. As little children, they're conscious of their needs and what they need and what they want and what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine and if I was playing with it, it's mine and if you, know, you start to play with it, it's mine and you know it's all about them. But maturity, as a child starts to mature, he starts to be conscious and aware of others and other people's needs and the more you mature, the more that, that is that is Prevalent. Kids don't understand the principles, more blessed to give than to receive for them. You know, it's, it takes a while. You've got to grow into that. You, know, you could tell it to them, and just, it just doesn't register. You know? uh, like, I don't know how that makes sense, because I wanted that. <laughs> you know? uh, it takes a while for them to experience that, the joy of giving. But that's what it is, uh, the, the wisdom towards them with, that are without. The more one matures, the more others mean to you, the more you begin to look out for others instead of just yourself. You're, you're, you're consistent in your performance with regards to your time. Conscious of your time. He says here, redeeming the time. You know, you need to live life by an agenda. You need to have a plan. You ask a seven-year-old what he's doing tomorrow and it's going to be like, I don't know. You know you get into the teen years, you ask them, "What are you, what are you doing tomorrow?" And they're like, "Well, I got to go to school. I'm going to go to school, and when I get home from school, I suppose Dad's going to make me take out the trash. Mom might make me, you know, load the dishwasher. But what are you going to do with the rest of the time? I, I don't know. They, they don't have an agenda. You ask somebody here that runs their own business, "What are you doing on Tuesday?" Oh, Tuesday morning at 7, I've got to be over here. And at 2 o'clock, I've got to do this. And at 3 o'clock, I've got to do that so that I can be home by 4 o'clock because I've got to get this done at home because it's 7.30, uh, we're supposed to go meet so-and-so. An agenda. That's a mark of maturity. Living your life with a plan. Young people, you want to be treated like an adult? Stop wasting your life. Stop spending your whole life on the video games. Look at at your day. Plan it out. If you aren't careful, young people and adults alike, if you aren't careful, you know, we have this this here, sowing bountifully. This is our goal, right? And if you don't plan it, if you don't set it as an agenda, as something, okay, this is what I'm going to do, this is how this is going to happen, here we are a month into this year ready. and in your heart and mind at the beginning when we were given that challenge, you're like, man, that's great. I want to so bountifully this year. And if you didn't make something on purpose, put it on the agenda, a month has passed and you haven't done anything about it yet. You say, how do you know that? Because I know human nature. I know what we're like. I was telling one of our missionaries, he was telling me like, yeah, I might be able to be there. I said, you won't be. They said, that's not a commitment. Might, maybe, if it works out and I have nothing else to do. No, you have to decide you're going to be, put it on the calendar and say, okay, that's where I'm going to be on that day. You have to have an agenda, plan, stop wasting your days. You, You don't realize how much time you waste. If you want to accomplish something this week, you've got to say, okay, here's how we're going to do it. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to start this time. And we're going to get this done. This has to be done by this day. Live your life by an agenda. I was listening to an interview this week of Elon Musk. And he's got a lot of issues. We're talking about, his, uh, about creation and evolution this morning. He believes in evolution. How could somebody that smart believe in evolution? I don't know. But, you know, he's blinded. His mind is blinded. Satan blinds the minds of those in this world. And, uh, I mean, he's obviously a very brilliant man. But he was in this interview, they were asking him, hey, how much screen time do you have in a day? Not like on the phone talking for business, but actual just screen time. How much time do you spend looking at your screen? And he said, I don't know, maybe an hour. And the, the guy said, well, do you mind if we check? Because your phone records it. And he's like, uh, they do? And he's like, yeah, go to, go to screen time and check, okay, the last seven days. What's your screen time for the last seven days? So he pulled out his phone, he looked at it, and he said, well, it says Five minutes. He's like, I don't I don't think that's right. I think it's longer than that. You know, he ain't wasting his days looking at the screen. He's living his life by an agenda, which is why he's managing billions of dollars and running multiple companies and doing so successfully. A lot of us are just wasting our days. And that's a sign of immaturity. Maturity lives life by an agenda. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom exercising wisdom, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So we see we are consistent in prayer. We're consistent in our performance. And we're charitable in our pronouncements. We see in verse number six here, he says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. You know, you take a young child, and they just say whatever comes out of their mouth. They just, it can be the most mean, hurtful thing to somebody that they would call a friend. And they're, you're like, why did you say that? And they're like, I, I don't know, I thought it. You know, you got to learn how to control this. That's maturity, that's spiritual maturity, is learning how to control this. The, the older I get, the more I realize how important it is that I control this. It is so frustrating to me. Anybody that talks as much as a preacher does is bound to get himself in trouble. And it's something that I've got to be careful of, conscious of. You know, even as I opened the service tonight, it was not in my notes. I had not planned to say anything about Taylor Swift. And I opened my mouth and said that. And the whole time I'm like, you're such an idiot. Why are you talking about some... Dumb, she's got a lot of other problems besides just that. It just came to mind and I blotted it out. And I'm like, that's not what your message needs to be built on, opening up with something about this girl, you know? You got to be careful what you say, controlling your mouth. Let your speech be always seasoned with grace. You got to be sensitive. Sensitive, how you're using your mouth, what it is you're saying to other people. It's a sign of maturity when you learn to be sensitive to others and careful with your speech and what you're saying to other people and how you're responding. James 3, 5, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. We need to always be aware of our speech and Make sure it's with grace. With grace. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. My brother, and these things ought not to be so. So careful what we say. Mary will tell you there's been times that she's said something. And I said, You need to be careful. How you say that may be true. But do you need to say it? And the Holy Spirit many times convicts me. We've got to be so careful in our conversation. How we refer to or talk about each other in the house of God. We spend a lot of time together. Everybody knows Brad does dumb things. We don't need to t- we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> we don't need to be over here discussing it, you know. I'm just saying we've got to be so careful about that. And ask God to put a watch before your mouth and just try and help you. And it's something you're going to battle with from now until the day you go to heaven. Because we've got this old flesh we've got to deal with. But it's a sign of maturity when you start to be able to do that. You start to be able to catch yourself before you say those things. Before you let it come out and you say something about somebody else. By the way, a sign of maturity as well is when you do it and you realize you shouldn't have, is you go back to that person and say, Hey, you know I was talking about Brad saying those dumb things. That was wrong of me. I shouldn't have said that. Brad's a good guy, and he has a lot of things that that he does right. And it was really wrong of me to mention the one area that he's struggling. And I'm sorry. You do that a couple times, and you'll start guarding your mouth. You'll start being careful what you say. We need to be sensitive. That is with grace. We need to have our speech seasoned with salt. That you know, salt creates thirst. Creates thirst. I have, I, I really enjoy salty food. We went to dinner on, or lunch on Saturday and I had Thai chicken, which is a soy-based marinade and whatever. Oh, it was delicious. But I'm so used to using salt, I grabbed, the food came and I grabbed salt and I salted it all down before I started and it was already pretty salty. <laughs> but by, by the time I'm biting into it, I'm like, oh no. I put way too much. This was already probably too salty, and I just put a bunch of salt on it. And that's not usually the case. Most of the time, I, I'll, I'll add salt, and it's, it brings that flavor out. But salt, salt makes you thirsty. Here's what I wonder. Does your conversation make people want to seek you out and spend time with you? Or does it make people want to avoid you? Does your conversation build uh, an appetite? Does it create thirst that people want to be around it? They're, they're encouraged by you. They're strengthened. They want to be around you. Uh, or are they trying to avoid you because they, your conversation tears them down? It's a spiritual battle every time they're around you. I don't know. You have to answer the question. But we're sign of maturity when we're sensitive, when it's season of assault. Uh, when our conversation is significant... It's significant. He's let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Saying something of significance, saying something not just useless banter, but something of importance. This is the problem for me when I'm standing around the foyer talking to people. Because I usually don't think I have much of worth of significance to say, so I keep my mouth shut. And uh, that it it tends to be very hard to just stand around and and talk casually because I'm not one to just say random things. I, I try and be careful what I say, and so then I'm not a very good conversationalist. Somebody at the marriage retreat asked me, like, you know, they said, you do really well on the stage in front of everybody, does that bother you? Or does standing here talking to me bother you? I said, talking to you bothers me. <laughs> I said, just, just the one-on-one conversation? I said, I stand here like, okay, what do I say now? You know, uh, okay, what, what, what do I bring up? I already brought up the weather. <laughs> I already talked about how warm it is in here or uh, that the floor needs cleaned or I don't know, what else can I say, you know? Uh, I just sit there just struggling with what to do. I said, but when I'm, when I'm directing something, I've put a lot of thought and preparation into that and I can, I can do that comfortably now. Um, so this is where I, where I battle. But, you know, we have got to get to the place where we're speaking with significance, with knowledge in a correct manner, cautious about what we say. The Christians should learn and know how to give an answer of the hope that's in them, 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. You know, there's a lot of people been in church for a lot of years. They've been in church for years and years and you ask them a basic bible question a base I'm not you're not asking for chapter and verse you're just asking for a principle about something and they cannot give you a bible answer these things ought not to be we need to learn the word of god and be ready to give an answer of the hope that's in us so that we have something to say when we're talking to others I love it when I hear people in the foyer engaging over biblical principles, talking about scripture they're memorizing, talking about the discipleship that they're going through and and what they learned this week, talking about their devotions and how God opened up a verse to them or showed them something. These are things of eternal importance. And I know we've got to make casual conversation and the weather becomes part of every conversation. You know, I understand that and I'm probably the worst at it. Listen, we ought to engage over some things that are more meaningful. Amen? That's what maturity does. Maturity does this. Stated in the most simple terms, maturity is being Christ-like. The mature believer is going to be like Christ. As we began with the statement by Tozer, we said, just like a parent rejoices in seeing his children mature and all around areas and character of life, so God rejoices in seeing his children grow into the likeness of his son. We need to be mature believers, changed into the image of his son. If you're not careful, you'll stop that process of maturity. Regardless of where you are, if you're not careful, you'll stop. And boy, if you, if you looked at any one of these young people right here, and they just stopped growing? In, in six, eight months, a year, we would take him to the hospital and say, hey, something, something might be wrong. We just need to check him out. I mean, he just stopped growing. A lot of times, Christians stop growing. They stop maturing. Sometimes they stop because they just decide they're done. I've grown as much as I want to. I, I don't want any more spirituality than this. I'm comfortable where I'm at right now. If I get any more spiritual, then I'm going to have to start being a witness. If I get any more spiritual, I'm going to have to start reading my Bible every day. If I get any more spiritual, I'm going to have to be at Thursday night service, and I'm not ready to give up Thursday night. So I'm stopping right here. But everybody chooses that spot, finds that spot. They say, oh, you know what? I'm comfortable. I don't want to mature anymore. Some stop because they're discouraged. They're discouraged. Listen, I can tell you it's hard. There's battles in the Christian life. But the victory is worth the fight. The victory is worth the fight. Many, many years ago, I remember a guy came to church there in Lawrence, Kansas, where I was an assistant, and he began growing like crazy, and he was on fire for God and so excited about the things of the Lord and and just thrilling, you know. I mean, you know the excitement that was in the air when Bo first started coming and started growing, and everybody's seeing his excitement for the Lord, and we're like, man, it's contagious, his love for the scripture and these things. And that was what we were experiencing there in the church. And he had been there for about six or eight months at that time, and then he came to me one day and he and he he says, I'm so discouraged. He said, I, I, I feel like there's no way that I could ever, all that I've tried to do, and I feel like there's no way I can be as spiritual as so-and-so, or I can be as good as so-and-so, or I'm never going to be that good of a Christian. All that I'm doing right now, I feel like I'm so far from what is expected. And I tried to tell him, listen, you don't have to worry about what anybody expects. You worry about what God wants. You just do what God wants. That's the only person you're trying to make happy. Don't worry about any other things that people put on you. And you grow at the pace that God wants you to grow. And just take the steps he's asking you to take. But he was so discouraged, so overwhelmed with the like, man, I could never be what that person is. You don't have to be what that person is. You have to be what God wants you to be. So Don't get discouraged. Keep maturing Keep asking God to help you grow and mature and be what God wants you to be. Beloved, maturity pushes past the feelings and begins to function in the realm of faith. That's what maturity does, spiritual maturity. They push past the feelings, the discouragement, the the challenge of it all, and they begin to function in the realm of faith and ask God to do something.